Welcome to the Coop Tank. I'm your host, Steve Cooper, coming to you from Sweet Recording in beautiful Mount Laurel, New Jersey. You know, people, if you have a, a podcast or a video cast or you want to do a book on tape or hell, if you even need a studio built in your house or office, Sweet Recording is the place for you. Joe and Matthew know what they're doing. They're great guys. They're honest and they won't rip you off. So go to Sweet Recording, S-U-I-T-E, recording.com or email them at hello at sweetrecording.com. Anyway, we have a good show today. Uh, actually, a great show. I've known this gentleman. I met him in L.A. He, he came in studio to do the Cooper Talk, coopertalk.net podcast twice. And we actually did a live version at a coffee shop. And the coffee shop was owned by Robert Romanus, who you know as Damone from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. And I brought him on because, uh, one, he's a great guy. And two, because he's had a very fascinating career. He's really rebranded himself, rebuilt himself, you know, rode the peaks and valleys and has had a career in entertainment for, I don't know, over 35 years, I'm guessing. We're going to find that out. And my guest is Jordan Brady. How you doing, Jordan? Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me on the show, man. Well, you know, it's funny. I remember the first time I had you on, I just, I knew you, I had seen you back in the day when you did stand up and we'll get to that. And I, and I was, I reached out to you because I Am Comic came out and we'll talk about it. I had a documentary, documentary, a documentary, I Am Comic. Yeah. And I reached out to you and you came in and you did the studio, uh, into the studio in Burbank and then. Cooper Talk. You introduced me to Rich Scheidner, who I become very good friends with. And so it's just funny, but you've had so much going on. And before we talk about your your rise to what you're doing now and you know, you're a commercial director, but I want to talk about the commercial directing film school because you really took what you were doing and built a brand. And I know you're always sold out. It's in like LA and it's in Chicago. Tell me how it got started. Wow, Steve. Commercial directing film school, and thanks for this opportunity to talk about it. Um, it, commercial directing film school started, uh, I, I've always loved seminars and workshops. I remember going to a horror film workshop with Wes Craven, who did all of your, you know, original Halloweens and, uh, you know, Wes Craven, he was the king. And even though I don't like horror, I just, I just love to learn. And I thought, well, I could, I'm old enough and experienced enough. I could teach filmmakers especially people coming from indie film or short films or just getting started, they shouldn't have to relearn what's out there. I'll just teach it. So in 2015, I started commercial directing boot camp, an in-person gathering of 15 filmmakers. And I, I give them the voodoo that I've cultivated doing, I mean, I'm up to like 1300 commercials uh, in the past 20 plus years of commercial directing. So, you give them the voodoo. So, okay, you get you get these 15 people in for the boot camp. And the, yeah, the beginning. for the boot camp. And so what do you teach them? Because, you know, if they come from indie films or, or going to film schools, you know, I know they learn. It's like with actors. They learn how to act, but they don't learn really the business part of it. They don't learn like, oh, well, here's how you get an agent. Here's, you know, you can you can hit the cue. And then they if they really go to acting school, they don't teach you how to step on a mark because you're going for theater. What do you do? What is it that you bring them in and do that makes it, really valuable for them wow another great question no wonder you're such a successful host i try i try <laughs> but no you nailed it man it's like people that have gone to nyu film school usc all the greats say take my boot camp go wow i learned more in eight hours than in four years because it's how to get a, a rep which is like the agent for a director whether or not you should sign with a production company um, how to do spec spots like fake commercials, but don't call them a fake commercial and how to prepare and go to the marketplace 
as a director, like how to get the audition in the first place, you know, how to, how to connect with an ad agency or a production company and then filmmaking tricks. Like this is a crazy example. I hope your listeners appreciate, but in a traditional mood, let's say Steven Spielberg's doing a movie and he's got an unlimited budget and unlimited days or even a, an indie film that you love. Um, they start with the widest shot. Like here's the, here's the whole living room and the family's there. And then they do the scene a bunch of times and then they move into the two shot of these two on the couch, then a close up of the grandma on the rocking chair. Right. And so on and so forth. That's traditional filmmaking. Start wide, move in, move in. One of the voodoo tricks I teach is like, well, start with grandma on her close up in the rocking chair and then get grandma out of there for five hours. Do the wide <laughs> shot at the end because you don't want the ad agency and the client fussing over the lines in the in the wide shot. You're never going to use the wide shot. When grandma says, where's my butter? You're always going to be on the close up. So I don't know if that made sense, but it's like I've reversed engineered the filmmaking process specifically to shooting ads. So an indie, an indie film director, you know, they all, and I run into this with podcasters, you know, they all, they all think they're great. And it's just, it's funny. They don't understand it. It takes work. It takes a, it's, it's a process. It's it time. Up, yeah. Respect the process as your podcast is. Um, Amen. I still have the t-shirt. I was going to wear it today, but I didn't, uh, it's under a bunch of other t-shirts and I'm going to pull it out again. I got a little heavier. So anyway, so we all did Steve. Okay. So how do you deal with that though? I mean, why are people going to come to your school? Because you know, being a film director, do they sit there and go, well, I don't want to do a commercial director, even though like David O. Russell and all these people have directed commercials. But what what do you do you deal with attitudes sometimes when someone goes, well, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a film director. And you're like, well, you know what? I direct a lot of commercials and I make good money doing it. So, you know, just open up your mind. But how do you deal with students and what attracts the students to your school that are, let's say, film school students or indie directors? Well, one, it's my relentless Instagram posts. <laughs> Even my wife last night was like, you know, you've been posting a lot about the the film school lately. And I go, well, I have an upcoming boot camp April 22nd in Los Angeles. I have to promote the boot camp April 22nd because even though it always sells out, you know, it's it's uh, you, you got to let people know it's there. So I don't really deal with anyone with attitude. They they weed themselves out. Right. Like anyone with attitude about commercials is not going to take my boot camp. They have to be curious about ads. Look, when I was for me, this is just my opinion, but feature films were great. I made four feature films narratives in like five or six years from the 90 shot. My first in 97. It took two years to get it out. Did a Merrimax movie. Did it was hired for two more indies. And they were critical flops at the box office. They were, they all got released. They've all made their way on TV and video. And in fact, I remember getting a Hollywood video deal and seeing my movie at Blockbuster <laughs> on a VHS tape in the late nineties or, or in two, the year 2000, such a, a feeling. And to see your film on the marquee, it, there's no greater high. It's like coming off stage as a comedian at a sold out show, you know? Um, but in but maintaining that and getting a film it's so it's a couple years of your life just on a smaller film and commercials are 
well-suited for my ADHD where, you know, the gestation period for a director is six weeks at the most. Usually my turnaround is a month. I get a call. We do a Zoom. If I'm lucky, I win the project. I pitch and I win. Then I prep it, shoot it. And I'm involved in the editing because I'm a veteran. I've done it for years. Newer directors or some agencies even will say goodbye at the shoot and they go and edit. So the responsibility is and the lifestyle is is wonderful from my point of view. Explain the pitch. Like what do you put into a pitch? Let's say, okay, let's say I want to do a Cooper Talk commercial or the Coop Tank commercial. And you're saying you're I you an ad agency comes to you and then yeah. do you put together like storyboards or how do you pitch? Because it's 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 just like a, a business. It's a business presentation. It's one of those things like when you go into a sales presentation. If you're selling a copier machine, you have to go in and have your, you know, this. Well, this does this and this. I don't know if people really buy copier machines. They probably just buy them online. Yeah. But I sold fax machines when I got out of college, so I know. But what wow. is your pitch? What is your pitch like? Like, what do you do? Let's say okay, not let's say it's a it's a soft drink commercial. Do they just say? Jordan, we want you to come in to do a soft drink commercial, or do they say, we have this in mind? What's the pitch process? Wow. Uh, Steve, I probably get asked this a lot. How do you pitch, and what, what do you bring to the table? It's really easy. The agency has the script. And if it's, let's say it's for uh, some sort of uh, erectile dysfunction pill, and there, it's a, a pharmaceutical ad, Every word is vetted. Every scene is vetted and has an attachment of what the what it, how it moves the marketing forward, which sometimes I think is complete baloney, right? But the agency crafts the scripts and sells it through the client. So when they get a director on the phone, it's typically a triple bid process. It's me against two other fabulous filmmakers. So I pitch how I will infuse my point of view into their story. So, you know, the old rule, bend it, don't break it. I don't want to break their script. You know, if they have for, um, what was your example what, for Cooper Talk, for Coop, Coop Tank. So for Coop Tank, it, let's say they had a Shark Tank riff, right? And they were going to have you and others and people guests come in and pitch like it's the shark tank. And I go, you know, it'd be better as the price is right. Well, I'm kicked to the curb. I've just broken their idea. They've already spent four months with their client, you saying, Steve, we're going to make just like shark tank, but it's coop tank. So I go, you know what? We really, we really have to stay true to the shark tank theme. And I love what you're, you're doing, but I would love to introduce so this is where the Jordan Brady like sprinkles a little magic dust on their script. I go, you know, instead of when they turn the contestant down, instead of them walking out, um, they do their whole pitch in a dunk tank and they, they get dunked in like a clown at a, at a, at a county fair. So they do their whole pitch right there in the center. So everything looks like shark tank, except the contestant is sitting in a dunk tank. And so if they like that, then they'll go, hey, we like that. You know, Jordan, you got the job. Yeah. No, well, then the next step for those that are still listening, um, I write a treatment. And it's sometimes it's 20, 30 pages with pictures of Shark Tank. And I may Photoshop a image from a county fair and put it in the room and picture of you. And, and you write 
about the tone. Commercial directing is a confidence game. I mean, it's, it's a lot like stand-up comedy. The only way to get better is to do it in front of people. And it's a confidence game. You're selling your point of view. I don't know much about cameras. I don't know, you know, I don't know the lenses. I do because I've done it. But, you know, a, a cinematographer will say, do you want to use these, you know, the Zeiss 804Q lenses that just came out of Russia? Or Ukraine now, I should say, in this example. And I'll go, sure, if you think they're great. And then she'll get them. But there are directors that are technically astute, you know, and they they get into it. Now, now the the commercial directing film schools we're talking about. Was that a wait, was that a good answer or did I go on too long about that? You can be honest. I've been on your shows before. That was a good answer. I, is, I that make, is it making sense to yeah, the listeners? Yeah, it makes sense. Hey, listen, you know, I'm just I just ask the questions and you guys just okay. deliver. You know, I'm See, just <laughs> basically a commercial director. Think of it like this, and this is gonna date me, but uh, to the 1800s. The commercial director is a midwife for the agency and the client that got pregnant with this idea for a commercial. There you go. That's it's not like a, I'm not the auteur that comes in and, you know, you got 30 seconds. Steve, the uh, last summer I did commercials for Smirnoff Vodka with Kaylee Cuoco from uh, The Big Bang Theory and her a great show, The, the Flight Attendant, right? She was a spokesperson. We did like nine in a day, which sounds like a lot. They were six seconds. Set up, punch, done, product shot. Six seconds to tell the story. So there's not a lot of room to bullshit. And and can I? Oh, I'm sorry. Of course, sorry. Okay, get to the point. You know what I'm saying? So you're not going to reinvent the script that much. And and there are some A list. A++ list commercial directors or feature directors, and they get carte blanche. Like, hey, just tear the idea apart. I'm not that. I'm a solid A-. minus. Well, you're a solid A-, minus, but in my book, you're an A+, plus, Jordan. And, oh, I'm uh, an A+, plus filmmaker. Just the marketplace says I'm an A-, minus. but thank you for that compliment. The commercial, I want to get back to the commercial directing film school, because you said you started it in 2015. Now, yeah. How did you get awareness for it? How did you find people? Because you're starting a project and, you know, living in Hollywood, it's like an acting coach. You know, some yeah. guy I always laughed like some guy was on a sitcom in 1980 and he's like, take my class. It's like, well, if you're such a good actor, you'd be on another sitcom, you know, since 1980. But how do you how did you start building my that? biggest fear? Yeah. But how did you start building it when that first commercial boot camp you did? How did you yeah. market it? How did you figure out who you needed to contact? Well, I, I knew that 15 people would be enough to make it worthwhile. It's It was uh, modestly priced, but still it's expensive. Uh, in my book, I was from a small town in Ohio originally. Like anything over 500 bucks is a lot of money to me. So um, I knew from like PAs on my set coming up and asking me like, hey, I've worked for you for two years and I've watched everything you do. Like I need to learn more or cinematographers that want to break into directing, um, other filmmakers. And and then the biggest thing, the biggest thing that proved there was a, a niche a niche for this was my podcast. I have a podcast, as you know, called Respect the Process. It's about commercial filmmaking. And we stray on, you know, have other guests as well. But uh, I, I started doing that in like 2013 
talking to other filmmakers. And so I would get emails like, I love your show. It's valuable information. Hearing from two working filmmakers share, shooting the shit about what they do in the process. So I knew from the podcast, and I marketed it on the podcast exclusively the first couple of years. And to this day, most people come to commercial directing boot camp or take the online classes that I can tell you about from the podcast. And so I don't do commercial. I've had sponsors and people pay me for ads on my podcast, and I just stopped. I did it for a fleeting moment because I'm already selling my own courses. That's enough for the listener. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it's something that, you know, if if you sit there and you have to say, hey, you know, this is uh, Respect the Process sponsored by, uh, you know, Marty's Pizza down there on Sepulveda <laughs> Boulevard. And then later you say, hey, uh, by the way, did you know I, I also uh, – teach a commercial boot and they're gonna be like well wait a second you're pitching yourself and you're pitching another project and a lot of times i think people just go like you know what and it's smart your way you did that so you're, you're doing it you're building your boot camp and then pandemic hits what do you do when COVID hit because you no one saw it coming i don't know if you had classes already planned but i know because you traveled to chicago you'd go to different places what yeah, happened I did dallas what New happened York. what happened when uh, the pandemic hit because it was i mean did you have anything planned you had to cancel or what happened yes i had a i had uh so that was that wasn't that like friday march 13th 2020 i it was no i remember i was out for St. Patty's Day with a buddy getting a beer. It was a Saturday. And that Friday, me and Joanne, my wife, who says hi, she- I oh, um, love your lovely wife, Joanne. She and me went out to dinner. And then Saturday, I went out for a beer. And then Sunday, we shut down. And I was like, yeah. well, thank God I got to go out for dinner and a beer before we shut down. But what happened to you? Did you have things planned or what was what was up? I had one shoot that got canceled, which was a, a kick in the wallet. And I had one shoot that I thought I was the the favorite of the three directors pitching. I can't I can't honestly say I lost that job, but I, it felt really good. Like you kind of know when you're the winner, right? But what about the, the what, what about the boot camp? Yeah, so the boot camp I had planned for um, uh, later. It was in April. It was going to be in April, like this year is April twenty second, Los Angeles, and <clears throat> I said, well. I wrote everybody, I go, let's postpone it because we don't know how long. So I moved it to June and then June came and I gave some people their money back and other people just kept pushing. And we finally did it in the fall of 2020 and we wore masks, we took temperatures and I spread. And now at this point, like around 2018, I moved, I expanded to 20 people and I was in a big theater with a screen above the stage and it was great and that theater shut down so i just went back to my original 15 people got a big ass room had windows open this is in the fall of 20 now mass people are spread out like imagine every every person had their own banquet table right but the real thing was okay what am i going to do i don't have a gig i can't do the boot camp and, you know, can I just interject? The biggest fear is being that 80s sitcom person teaching acting that's out of date, that's not relevant. My whole film school motto is learn to direct commercials for a living from a filmmaker directing commercials for a living. Like, 
I'm still a working director. I had two commercials come out, start airing last week for Toyota. And I think that's a big attraction to people that I'm in the trenches. Okay. But I, I took what people had said, do you have anything online? It was like the universe was saying, you've been asked this for two years. Do you have anything online? So I, I took my boot camp. My son came to my studio and he's a deep a cinematographer and a young director, and he works on the real master classes. You know, like he did Neil deGrasse Tyson's master class okay. as a camera person. So he lit my room like a master class. And I did my it's not the full boot camp. I did like two hours of nuggets, knowledge nuggets, and I put it online. And it took off like gangbusters. And that first one was commercial directing master class. So now I've got it's it's summer 2020 and I've got two products, a boot camp that's in person and a master class that's online. And I was like, well, how do I I can't I can't be pimping both. I need an umbrella. And that became commercial directing film school. So what do now people can they can take courses online now or how does that work? How do the two work? Yes. Because let's say I'm sitting here in Mount Laurel, New Jersey, and I want to be yeah. a film director because, you know, well, Netflix is opening a huge studio in New Jersey. Huge. They just bought a big airport base. Uh, they used to be. So let's say I want to sit there and go, well, you know, I want to look into doing this. How can someone who doesn't want to fly to L.A. or fly to Dallas or, as you say, fly to Chicago, they can just go on. What can they get when they go online to your commercial directing film school? Steve, these questions are like softballs, and, and they're, they're so wonderful for me to showcase the wonderful products that I have for filmmakers. Hey, that's what I do. I, 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 okay. was, I was a bad softball pitcher, but, uh, <laughs> but for this, I learned how to do this. You know, I, I used, instead of being good at drinking beers and being fat and throwing, you know, pitches over the plate, I drink beers on the weekend, and I ask people like you easy questions. Now, these are easy. <laughs> well, first of all, can I tell you that when I made the commercial directing master class, the online course, and sometimes you'll hear me talking about the master class, and I'll put a slight pause in there so I don't get sued by the real master class because mine's a master class. <laughs> and I thought, I'm going to cannibalize my potential audience. Like, who's going to fly to LA or wherever I am to do an in person thing that's like, you know, $8.95? Uh, when you could take a $249 class that's got two hours of instructions, exclusive behind the scenes, download treatments that I've written, download original agency scripts and compare them to my treatment, winning treatment. I put some losing treatments in there. And when I say behind the scenes, it's not just like, a, oh, there's some shots of me directing. I'm actually taking a moment to turn to the camera and talk why I did this, why I chose this lens with the cinematographer, what I said to the actor. I mean, you'll, you'll literally be like a parrot on a pirate's ca uh, shoulder as I run the ship. And I thought it was going to cannibalize the boot camp, but lo and behold, it became like a, a feed for the boot camp. And, and anyone that's taken an online class, which now I have like six different online courses, uh, you get a hundred dollars off of the boot camp. 
which is now I think it's because it's not April 22nd yet. And I don't know when this is out, but it's like $7.95. You took the online course, you knock another hundred bucks off. And then what really made the the online course zing is um, I offer a 20-minute consultation call so you can ask me questions after you complete the online course. So I get, I've been on the phone with like literally hundreds of filmmakers. I'm talking to a woman uh, at 11 o'clock LA time today who've completed the, the master class. So now, now, did you did you come up with that idea yourself, or did you work with someone to sit there and say, okay, you know, once you knew it wasn't cannibalizing your cast, uh, class, and it makes sense because if you take something, you'll want to, you'd want to go, you know, if you if yeah. you if you get value out of it. How did you come up with that marketing idea to give the hundred dollars off? Was that just something? I mean, how did you come up with that marketing plan? I know you did stand up for a while, so we always had to market ourselves back then. So we learned, you know, do this, do this. Oh, a headline for you know fifteen dollars cheaper than this guy. No, but uh, how did you? How did you decide that that was the way you're going to go? Like, okay, I can discount this, but I'm not losing money because in the long run, I'm making money because they wouldn't be coming if they didn't know about it at the first place. How did I come up with that? Well, you know, I started um, – <laughs> the great thing about the internet is once you Google something or like something, your the algorithm sends more of that shit towards you. Like I wrote a treatment for FemaClear, uh, an organic uh, yeast infection fighter, and I did the commercials for FemaClear. Uh, about a singing vagina was the concept the agency came up with. And because the her hoo ha was full of joy, and the, and I that was a fun commercial to direct. Uh, the agency had the idea. I had my herbs and spices, FemaClear. Once you start googling FemaClear to write a treatment, I'm bombarded with all kinds of feminine hygiene products now. So likewise, when I started looking at other people's filmmaking courses which are how to do your indie film or how to shoot with an iPhone, how to, you know, how to direct a TV episode and get in that game. I'm the only one really doing commercials, but I cannibalized their shit and took some of the best of what people had. And I saw people offering a consultation so that you would buy the course. And I was like, no, no, I got to flip that. I don't, I don't need to be talking, you know, God willing, I'm on set. I can't be talking to people. I'm not going to sell them on the course. So I said, if you complete the course, you get a free consultation. And I, and I consult with other directors, like a director whisperer who are like working filmmakers. And I, it's sworn to secrecy. And I charge like a, a decent Philadelphia lawyer would charge for an hour. So some people see buying the course and taking it as a less expensive way to get me on the phone about their ideas. Like some people don't even ask me about the course. They go, hey, I took the course. Love it. Listen, I'm shooting a giraffe next week. And I, I'm, I'm no holds barred. Let's talk about the giraffe. My first thing is, can you make it a llama? Yeah. Can, now, now tell me about some of the weird shit you've shot. Because you've, you've, it's funny because I forget the commercial. I know when you had done Cooper Talk back in L.A., you had done a commercial, and it was for a truck. And it was the guy from the one of those auto shows, and the truck went on like a loop. It was on fire. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, some, tell me some of the weird commercials you shot, and how do you have you have to have confidence to pull that off? Because 
there's money in there. And like you said, you have six seconds. You have so much time to tell the story. Tell me some of the cool commercials so the listeners know some of the stuff you've shot. So this, I mean, this is going back a few years, but um, Richard Rawlings had a show called Fast and Loud on Discovery, one of those channels. He would fix up cars. He's a He's kind of a good-looking Texas guy, and Dodge signed him as a spokesperson. So we had him in a Dodge Dart doing a loop-de-loop, like, you know, your Hot Wheels set. But this was, um, you know, my gosh, it, it it appeared to be 70 feet in the air. It's mathematically correct, right? But you couldn't really do a Dodge Dart, and it was on fire. So that one I used um, shipping containers – and built a ramp that was black with a big white stripe. And I made the ramp like a hump, like a one big hump out of four or five shipping containers. So it was two shipping containers tall. And did camera angles of the Dodge Dart. And this guy really, he drove most of it. And then we had a stunt driver. Just approaching the hump, a high angle down looking at the hump. So there was a curvature. And then the guy would not get airborne. He would come down the other end. Then we did a miniature, like a four-foot, very accurate model. And miniatures have been around since the advent of film. People have used miniatures and forced perspective. All the shit you see on TikTok and Instagram, people doing their digital magic tricks, those have all been done by Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton and, and tons of people for 100 years. So uh, that one was a, a big challenge because I didn't know how well they would match. But, Steve, I shoot tests. If you're a comedian, you go to an open mic night and you try out material. Well, I, do, I shoot a test in my office with an iPhone or a video camera. I've shot entire commercials of dialogue with uh, Barbie dolls and an iPhone so that I have the muscle memory when I get to set, I know what the hell I'm doing. Like I got it figured out and I've shown the client, my Barbie dolls. They love them. Okay. That question. You just brought up TikTok. Yeah. What's, what's your thought on TikTok as a filmmaker? What do you, what do you think of it? I mean, do you think it's, it's, you know, now everyone can make a film and stuff like that. And you've worked the trenches and, you know, you came from yeah. doing comedy and then, you know, you made, well, I want to, I want to ask you about that, but what's your thought about TikTok? Because it's some of the things I, I see some stuff. I'm like, I don't get it. Like this person has like one point. There's this guy, he lives in Turkey and he has like millions upon millions of views and he dances because his stomach juggles and it's actually enjoying oh, yeah, to I've watch it that guy. I, I, it's, it's yeah, funny I've... when you watch it but then you're like well wait a second I know actors who have been like doing summer stock for years who are so 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 talented and they 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 can't get a break or they, they're doing still doing background and you see this guy going with his stomach bouncing around and he's making money out the ass because he has millions of views and he's getting paid what is your thought about TikTok as someone who is a filmmaker and has made Actually, movies, documentaries, and commercials. I love it. I love TikTok, and I went into it kicking and screaming, brother. I've and I, I just did, did my last boot camp uh, at the end of the year, and there was two people from TikTok because I started posting. I'm trying to learn how to storytell, and I I want to be relevant as a store as a director. My, you know, I get. And I just cracked the code for myself, and I um, 
so I interview myself about how I do filmmaking processes. So I sit in my office here and I ask myself questions and I answer them and I'm kind of mad at my other interviewer self. And it seems to be funny. And this is in the last literally 15 days I cracked the code and I'm getting, you know, a dismal 30,000 views. But to me, an old man, you know, I love it. That's a lot. I tell some people don't even go into commercials, just be an influencer. You know, people making little commercials on their TikTok, some of them are doing great. Like, go find um, – if, if I were um, a young person with a great iPhone and maybe some lights in a studio, I would approach uh, Sweet Recording. Can I make a video for Sweet – that's S-U-I-T-E, Recording. Those brothers are great. And I would make a video commercial for them and put it on TikTok. I wouldn't go to boot camp and try to work with agencies. I would I would carve out a niche as an influencer slash filmmaker. I think that's a real option. But the, to your point about the guy jiggling his stomach or uh, people lip syncing to comedians or songs or even it's not just dancing anymore. But I don't get that. That's not my thing. I like originality. So I'm not down with that. But some of the original sketches people are doing on TikTok are funny, and God bless them. Okay, now I want to get to you, how you ended up to this commercial directing, because you were a comic, used to do the MTV stuff. You know, you we yep. were on the MTV Spring Break, and you were the guy that wah, 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 you know, people he used to I, do, yep, the, yeah. he was, I think you were the first that did the porn, the porn. Uh, I am credited as the first person, and it's on television, so it's documented. Old school comedians, if I go to a club and there's a younger comedian, go, you know who that is, right? He invented Bounce Chicken Wow Wow because that was my big signature bit. Then I did it on Even at the Improv in like 88, 89. I did it on MTV. I did, I did it that same bit on as many shows as I could because I had an agent, at, a college agent that would book me at colleges who said, don't burn the material. If you can do the same seven minutes over and over again, you'll get the bookings and then you'll have new material when you get to the college. Nowadays, the superstar comedians just write a new hour every year or so. So you were doing but that. I digress. But no, you were, you were, so you were, you were doing that. And then you had development deals and stuff like that. What made you stop pursuing the acting? Cause that was in like 99, I think, or when you did Dill Scallion, I believe. But what made you stop pursuing the acting and the comedy and start this whole new, whole new branch? Cause it's it has to be hard to reinvent yourself, and it takes balls. But was there a, a defining moment where you said, "You know what? I this I'm just not making it as an actor. I got to change my gears." There was there's a very specific moment. I was so I was a game show host for a little over half a year on MTV, and I did some I did your spring breaks and reporting and whatnot, and Comedy Central. I had done some stuff. I was a, not a good actor. Like I did, was on, what was it? Who's the boss? You know, and I had a couple lines and I was funny. And Tony Dan's is like, you're good kid. <laughs> but you know, and empty nest, all these nineties sitcoms and or eighties sitcoms rather. And, and I was okay. I just wasn't going to make it right. I did some pilots. They didn't take off, but I was a good host like yourself. So I got, I had a, a deal at NBC. 
I acted in some movie of the week and some sitcoms, like small parts. But they sent me to meet the producers of a show called Name Your Adventure. And they'd already booked their regular host from Saved by the Bell, which was a huge show at this time. We're talking like 92, 93. And that was Mario Lopez. So Mario Lopez is the host. He's going to take kids' letters, and whatever their dream is, they're going to go do it. So spy school with the CIA, chef for a day, uh, be with an NBA player, things like that. Well, turns out they needed a second banana, a host that could do things Mario would be too busy to do. And I later found out that the insurance company would not let him do. So that's why I did shark diving in space camp. <laughs> I did things that that he was too valuable to do. So I go to meet the producers and I have an interview. And I'd been directing like man on the street stuff and I performed man on the street. I'd taken a camera to biker week in Florida and spring break and things like this. And I in Comedy Central gave me some uh latitude to direct like little field pieces. So I go and I meet and they say, do you want to host this thing? I'm like, yeah, I want to host. I'm hosting an NBC kids show, right? And I left. And, and I, hope, I hope the listeners are inspired by this. I left the meeting knowing that I had the job as a host. I went home in Burbank. I was living in uh, Toluca Woods, I think they call it now. I was living in the valley, you know, the meetings in Burbank. I think it's where your old studio is like a stone throw from where I met you. But anyway, I go home and I turn around and go back. And I take like a, this videotape of some man on the street things I'd shot and directed. And like I bungee jumped and videotaped it. And I had a camera to my hand. And I interviewed people about it. It was like a four minute piece. I remember the bungee jump. And I, they go, what are you doing back here? I said, Hey, what I really want to do is direct. And they're like, what? You're going to host the show. What do you mean direct? I go, well, I've been doing this. And they watched the tape and the producer, I'm friends with him to this day, Scott. He goes, okay, look, I don't need directors. I've got the show staffed with directors. What I need are producers. So if you will come in and produce six episodes and they're good, not episodes, but like field pieces. You can direct one. And I said, thank you. And by the end of that first season, I think I directed five or six segments. I produced my six. I produced the next two, three years of the show. I produced and directed. In fact, the last year of the show, Tatiana Ali, who was on the Cosby show, came in as a host. And I'm old. I'm putting on weight. I don't care. You know, I'm I was happy to direct her and Mario, and uh, I, you know, did just a couple of pieces. So that was your venture into directing, and then you went got some features, and then how did I Am Comic come up? Because, because once again, were you tired of features? Because you went into this documentary, and and it was a real underground hit. It really touched the the comedian community and Scheidner has, has a great story. And uh, so funny, whenever he comes to the town, we meet at this pizza place down in Pennsville where he lives. Cooper, Cooper, come down. I'll, I'll buy you. Come down. And so I go down and it's this nice Italian restaurant and no one's ever in there. 
and I'm thinking it is it's the most bizarre thing. Like it's in this strip mall, and I'm like, it's giant, and no one's in there. But so you directed the you were directing Dill Scallion, you directed Ben Affleck, you directed a few features. Did you tire on features, or were you just not hot anymore, or what made you go into the documentary? I think it's a combination of both, man. I mean, um, Dill Scallion is like a country Spinal Tap, and it had it was it's a cult classic with a too small of a cult. And uh, Waking Up in Reno had Billy Bob and Charlize and Patrick Swayze and Natasha Richardson. It and it flopped at the box office, but it found an audience like when Netflix and things came around. But it wasn't I, I wasn't hot, and I wasn't cut out for like pitching, I think the last movie I pitched on was like Stuart Little 2 or some something where it was going to be two years of my life. And I was doing Burger King commercials and Kia commercials in, in, all the while while I'm making movies. So the movie people hate you because you're sneaking off to shoot a commercial and the commercial salespeople are like, are you going to do another movie? Because then you're off the market. So I said at the time, it was, I remember it was 2000 and, uh, 2003, 2002, 2003, I said, I'm going to commit three years to commercials. And I was with a, an agency called William Morris at the time. It's WME now. And I told my agent, I said, hey, I'm, I'm not going to go on any more pitches. Like, you got to, why don't you drop me before I drop you? Let's just call it quits because it'll look bad on you if, if I'm not going out on pitches. Like, very transparent about it. And those two, three years that I had committed to commercials turned into here we are, 2023 with a commercial directing film school and my own production company, True Gentleman Industries, and we're doing gangbusters. Like so so that that's why I wasn't hot enough doing features, didn't have a hit. And I could I go pitch and do a Hallmark movie? I'm sure. And by the way. The muscles you learn making commercials, I could run circles around anybody on set. Like commercials, you just are at the top of your game. It's like going to the gym every day. Okay, so I'm on set of a Dannon yogurt commercial in Uruguay. Okay? Because in Uruguay, the dollar was strong, and it's an international commercial and I don't want to out the Dan and yogurt people. This is for their kids product, Dan and Eno. But I think, you know, you buy international talent rights, right? Because it's going to air all over the world. Little kids, a teacher, and we did it in a couple languages. And I don't speak very good Spanish, but here I am in Uruguay. It's a beautiful day. And the young, the young art director... From it was YNR, Young and Rubicon. Now it's VML YNR. Everything changes. So this is like 2006, 2007. And YouTube has come out. And Steve, in the video village where all you people, the listeners have seen that on behind the scenes and stuff, where all the producers and the writers and the the agency people and clients are hanging out. They got a Wi-Fi signal and their laptops. And I come back from directing this these kids in a playground, and they go, oh, my God. We found you on YouTube, and it's me in a lime green suit with big <laughs> shoulder pads 
from the A-list on Comedy Central. I have a mullet, but you know, it's like we call it a soccer cut. Right? We feathered, we it's feathered a, the side of our hair. We, we feathered, feathered it, the yeah. side, right, right, right. It's a mullet, true and true. And I'm doing, hey, porno move, bow, chick, bow, wow. I'm doing the bit, you know? I'm doing the bow, chick, wow, wow bit. I'm on, there I am, it's a clip that's either Comedy Central or someone's put on YouTube. And they said, what was that like to be a comedian in the 80s, into the 90s? Because that clip's, I think, from 89 or 90. And that was the start of people asking me what it was like to be a comedian. Like, it was people had started asking. But that was the first time I was on set and someone showed me my, uh, you know, 17-year, 20-year younger self doing the bit. And it was there in Uruguay where I was like, I have to do a documentary. I have to answer this question. So the original idea was to uh, do Rich Scheidner's book that he had written called I Killed, Stories from the Road. And I had bought the book just to support, you know, a brother or a sister that's got a book out. I'll do that. And but he, the book rights were tied up, and I wanted to go beyond just road stories and go into the like the mechanics of being a stand-up, like a Studs Terkel approach to comedians, to being a comedian, the art and occupational hazards of stand-up comedy. So that's how that's how that happened. Are my answers too long? Will Joe edit these? Does the listener get this unfettered uh, storytelling? Dude, no, this isn't a commercial. We we let it go. You okay. talk, you talk. <laughs> Jesus God, you know, I sit there. I, I give I give I give you a a, a platform Softball. to talk, and then you're you're calling my calling me and my producer out. What are we gonna do? No, um, I got I got one Sweet final recording. Sweetrecording.com. Yeah, I got I got one final question for you. Yeah. When you move and take as much time as you want to answer this. Wait, can I can I add something that might be fun? Yeah. Okay. You remember the the loop de loop commercial? Yeah. So I made a sequel called I Am Road Comic because everybody loved I Am Comic, this cult, right? So a couple of years later, I make I Am Road Comic, and I did a, a a revenue share deal with Hulu, where they would air I Am Road Comic, uh, with commercials in it, and you choose your commercial experience. Hulu's a little bigger now, but. So I would set up like four computers in my office and I would play I Am Road Comic all the time. And one of the choices was more male oriented with car commercials and shit. The other was uh, a little more household. So I chose on one of my computers the, the car commercial experience. And my commercials with Richard Rawlings and the loop-de-loop on fire aired during I Am Road Comic on Hulu. So I, commercial directors do not get residuals. You get paid for the shoot, and that's it. But I tell you, the lunch budget for those Dodge commercials was twice as much as the entire budget of I Am Road comic documentary. It's, it's amazing. So my question. Yes, sir. My final question in this master class. <laughs> when you think... Retrace your steps. When you moved to Hollywood, I'm guessing you wanted to be a star. But move. 
Did you ever think that your career, a young Jordan Brady, that your career would be where it is now, where you're a commercial director, you you have a film school, you're an instructor. Did you ever even fathom that would happen? Never. Never. I, I'm from a small town in Ohio, like I said, called Mount Vernon. The only person from Mount Vernon is uh, Paul Lynn, the original Center Square, <laughs> who, who lived who lived like apparently next door to me, but I never saw him, and that could be a myth. So I never even knew that show business was part of it. But after doing stand-up, and I moved to San Francisco for a few months, realized there's no television to speak of there. You know, in the mid-'80s, to be a comedian, San Francisco was – top of the rock, right? San Francisco, Boston, New York, LA. And after being there a handful of months, I was like, no, I got to go to LA. I want to be on TV. I want to be famous. Like you said, Steve. And uh, so I did imagine by the time I moved here, like, okay, I'll act and getting deals and doing, you know, Craig Shoemaker, has he been on Coop Talk? He's been on uh, Cooper Talk a few times. He hasn't been on this yet. Oh, he's a, he's a uh, Philly guy. Yeah. I'm going to have him on. Yeah. So Shu and I were, we had the same manager. We both had these talent deals. I remember when I came out here, we reconnected. King of Prussia, he used to book a gig in King of Prussia at a mall there. It, it might have been in the back of a Denny's. Anyway, I digress. Um, so I never thought, but by being on like an MTV game show, and seeing the the working mechanics of how TV worked and the teamwork, the prep that went into the shoot day, that was intriguing. Hosting Name Your Adventure and getting that opportunity, that was just fun to put the whole thing together. Dill Scallion was a mock documentary. It's a country spinal tap, basically. That was so much fun to make. And then you're working with actors like in my commercials i'm working with actors that are so much funnier and i will cast a stand-up comedian anytime i can i'll bring stand-up comedians that are just fresh off the boat like no i saw this guy at a club or i saw her on tv bring them in try to get them a commercial to help out and you can rely on them being funny so i'm not in i'm still in the jordan brady business right but i'm not front and center on camera Although I do have a, a cameo in my wife's movie, Diamond in the Rough. I play a, a pickleball player. I got a couple lines. Well, there you go. Nepotism, nepotism at its best. Exactly. <laughs> and uh, so uh, give me a final, give, give a final thought to all those people, you know, that have been, you know, you've gone the hills and valleys in your career. You know, you sat there, you, and yeah. you, but you've been proactive, which has helped. Give it to people, you know, because business owners go through the same thing. You know, someone leaves a business. They lose a business. They got to start a new business. They got to rediscover themselves. What would your What would your advice be to them? Just stay true to yourself, or what would you tell them? Uh, then, boy, that's a great that's a great final question. My, I got three kids graduating college in the spring, and one who went straight from high school and working on my sets to is now a director DP. My daughter at USC is going to graduate from the School of Dramatic Arts. I got one at, at UT in Texas who's going into advertising and marketing. My other son's a screenwriter. He graduates. And I tell them what I'm telling your listeners. Fuck plan B. When I came out to L.A., I didn't have a plan B. I don't, 
I was doing stand-up. I, that was going to be it. Fuck plan B. Don't say, well, I should have this to fall back on. Because then you will fall back on that. And entrepreneurs, you know, I'm a creative entrepreneur. I have True Gentleman Industries to produce commercials and commercial directing film school. So I've never, I didn't come out here with that plan, but it's morphed. So you want to be open to the opportunities the universe gives you. And so I say, fuck plan B, but also adapt or die. When that pandemic, you know, I'd collected money from hardworking filmmakers. I had to give the money back. Okay, well, that can't happen again. Let's create an online course. I had a hot sauce from 2018 until last fall because my kids would sell the hot sauce. We gave all the money to military families. No, it's not a moneymaker. But then I found out I'm alone. They've grown up. One's married. I'm here bubble wrapping hot sauce. I said, no, kill it. Adapt or die. No more hot sauce. Like be open to change. Um, I had a, a commercial production company for 10 years with some partners. A guy from Philly actually was my part, one of my partners. And a great guy. I learned a ton. And when it was time to leave, we said, hey, I think we've grown apart. We're, we have different goals now. We ran it for 10 years. We left. And I started a new thing. So you have to adapt. But uh, I guess it would be more motivating if I said stay true to your vision, which is why I say fuck plan B. I've just seen too many people that talk and they never take action. All right. That was like a little rant there. Steve. I liked it. I liked it. And you're right. How, what great way, great way to end the show. Now, now tell everyone how they can get in touch with you, you know, how people can find out. They can find out about you. They can find out about, you know, your film school and no, no more oh so hot sauce, but they can, uh, <laughs> they can find out. Give all your info. I'm fun to Google. I'm on the socials too much. That Jordan Brady, not this one, but that Jordan Brady. And commercialdirectingfilmschool.com, while long to spell out, I got good SEO. You'll find me. Commercialdirectingfilmschool.com has the boot camp. It has a master class. I've got a class where you learn how to pitch, where you write treatments, where you shadow. And, Steve, the biggest thing was – and I'm learning. Can I give two one plug that might be helpful for your listeners? Sure. Or we're running out of time. No, I'll give you one more plug. So have you ever listened to Professor Scott Galloway, his I, podcast? I know. I watch him on, when he's on Smirconish. He's, I think he's great. He has a school called Section 4, and I took some business courses there to help me forge the branding and the story of the film school with the boot camp with the master class. So that was one way that I did learn. Because you asked me sort of how did I figure it out, and taking those courses – Help me align everything. I knew I, ha I had the umbrella of film school, boot camp, master class, and now these shadow classes that I've done. So I want to give a shout out to Section 4, great courses. And then um, the other thing that I teach anybody, regardless of, of what they want to do in life, is pick a date and write it down you know, self-imposed deadlines really work. You said Coop Tank. The Coop Tank is going to be a new podcast. You didn't go, maybe I'll do it someday. You said, you know, why don't I launch September 3rd? And you then could reach out to Joe and go, hey, Joe, I'm going to do this podcast. I want you to produce with me. 
Joe goes, when are we doing? He goes, September 3rd, says Coop. Like, writing shit down, the act of writing shit down. I don't have a vision board or whatever, you know, and I'm not knocking those things. But I got a calendar, and when I put a date in there, like, everyone's going to ask, when's your next boot camp? You know, after I before I do a boot camp, I sit down with my wife. I go, everyone's going to ask me when the next one is. So I need to know the next one. We got a graduation in May. We got uh, my son's part, wedding party in April 15th, and it's tax day. Let's do it April 22nd. That's how I came up with April 22nd. And I wrote it down. I back into that. So that that's what I wanted to share. You, They can find me at commercialdirectingfilmschool.com. TrueGent.tv is my production company. If anybody on the uh, is listening that wants a commercial, uh, TrueGent.tv. Because I'm a true gentleman, Steve. There you are. And so people, check him out. Check out Jordan Brady. Go to all his websites. Go to my websites. Uh, you can go to coopertalk.net to find my other podcast, which I've done over 940 episodes. What? Um, yeah, yeah. And uh, 940 mazel tov. Yeah, and that's the only ones that are promoted. I, the, on the, when I did the show in the studio, some of them didn't make the, the cut when I first started. I didn't start podcasting till six months later. So people go to coopertalk.net. Go to hear past episodes of this show at thecooptank.podbean.com. You can email me at thecooptank and yahoo.com. And that's about it. If you need a speaker to talk about networking and an event, talk to me. If you're looking to someone to do like a red carpet type thing, me and my producer, Joe Ganjemi, who kicks ass, we will come out and we will film you and I will do questions to your guests. And it's all a great time. So people, I want to thank you for listening. Thank you, Jordan Brady. Thank you, Joe Ganjemi. Check out sweetrecording.com. Do a podcast. Do it here. I'm Steve Cooper, and I'll talk to you guys next time.